You're listening to the Grace Through Faith weekly podcast. For more information, go to mygtf.org. We hope you enjoy. How are you guys today? Um, Welcome to the live stream. We're glad that you're joining us online. Hey, uh, pastors Jory and April say hi. They are out this morning. Uh, Their daughter, Sydney, last night became Mrs. Merrick Tips. So obviously we're sending you guys congratulations and we're giving them a much needed Sunday off. Okay, so is that good? Um, So this morning I'm preaching and next week our friend Mercy... uh, by the way, I'm Pastor Bo Perkins. I'm uh, the worship pastor here. Whew. And I also serve on the executive team with Pastor Jory in April. Um, and April. And the woman standing here, the cute blonde girl, is my wife. And we lead our worship team together. And uh, our friend, Cody Hodges, who we serve on leadership with, with a youth ministry that's um, kind of like a para-youth ministry. I don't know how you'd describe it, but we, we meet every month. It's called the 806 Gathering. He also works for Rachel's Challenge, uh, traveling around schools and speaking. He's going to be speaking here next Sunday, so you're not going to want to miss that, okay? Okay, are you guys excited this morning? Oh, one more thing I need to mention. Um, Irene Hughes is running voter registration in the foyer, so if you're not registered to vote, you have no excuse now. <laughs> so if you need to do that, do that after church. Uh, go and get that done super quick, super simple. We'll get you all fixed up. So we'll re-mention that at the end. Hey, okay, I'm really excited this morning. Are you guys kind of excited? Okay. Yeah, no, like uh, I had a really great message all kind of lined out. And then on Friday, the Lord was like, yeah, you're not you're not speaking that message. I was like, great. Thank you. I can't wait for the awesome message you're going to give me to replace the one I worked two weeks on. I think that we're here this morning to destroy the works of the evil one in our lives and the lives around us. That is something we can all be excited about this morning. We have the ability today to put the hurt on the kingdom of darkness. I think we talk a lot about we talk a lot about the attack of the enemy on us. Maybe we should be talking more about our attack on the kingdom of darkness. Amen. Somebody with me this morning. It's time for us to start pushing back, okay? We do that in prayer, we do that in worship, we do that in relationship, we do that when we read the word, we do that when we draw close in relationship with Jesus. And uh, what I'm going to talk about this morning, I believe, is going to break down walls that stand in between you and the love of God. Amen? What's better than that? Nothing. Cool. So um, I I said this last time that I preached, but um, I don't believe that the Holy Spirit stops moving when the music stops. Cool. And so we're just going to keep the flow of the anointing in the room. And so our, that same kind of lean-in posture that you carry with you when we're in the place of worship, I want to stay right there because I believe the Holy Spirit can speak things to you and is going to speak things to you that I can't say. I don't know how to say. But he'll take my words in this atmosphere and he'll amplify something in your life and in your heart that's bigger than what I can do if you stay available, Okay. So would you pray with me? And I really want you to pray with me. I want you to ask the Lord for yourself. He has daily bread for you today. 
and it's not just going to be a, a good, you know, three points in a poem sermon, okay? That's not what we're here for. We need an encounter. So let's pray. Let's, let's bring our hearts to him. And you could pray, you know, however you want to. But Father, today in this room, we pray that by the partnership of the Holy Spirit, we begin to destroy the works of the wicked one. God, I pray that, that traps and snares that he's set out for us in our lives would be destroyed this morning. God, I pray that lies would be torn down, that deceitful thoughts would be obliterated, God, and that the anointing of your son Jesus would flow over and in each and every person in this room. Yeah, somebody say amen. amen. So there was a devout Catholic couple and they were driving on their way to get married and they were in a head-on collision and they both died and they were standing at the pearly gates and as St. Peter came to them to process them into heaven, they had been talking to each other and they asked him, St. Peter, can we be married in heaven? And Peter looked kind of perplexed. He said, well, no one's ever asked me that. Hold on, let me go find out. So he walked away. He was gone for two months, and they're just waiting, waiting. While they were waiting, just discussing the prospect of being married for eternity in the afterlife, they begin to wonder, what if it doesn't work out? What if we don't want to be married anymore? Well, they waited a whole nother month, so at this point they'd been waiting for three months, and St. Peter finally came back looking pretty bedraggled, and he said, well, here's the thing, guys. I finally found a priest. He said, yeah, you guys are A-OK to get married, and he said, well, that's great, St. Peter, but we have another question. We want to know if it's possible that we might get divorced in heaven in case it doesn't work out. St. Peter looked so mad. And they began to ask him, what's wrong? He said, it took me three months to find a priest in here. How long is it going to take me to find a lawyer? <laughs> My message this morning is called, It's Messy. Somebody say, It's Messy. Yes. God wants to move in your mess and how perfectionism is killing you. Okay, I want you to imagine you're an angel about 2,020 years ago, and you're called into a board meeting, okay? And the, the topic at hand at this heavenly board meeting is, how do we send the Messiah to earth, okay? The, the time has come. It's time for this particular prophetic word that's been released since the Garden of Eden. to be. It's 6,000 years. Humankind has been waiting for their Savior, right? And you're just one of the lucky few that gets to sit at the table and the, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are there. And, and the Father asks the question of, of everybody in the boardroom, okay, it's time to send the Messiah. How are we going to do this? And the angels, you know, start to pipe up. Well, we probably need to put the kings and the kingdoms on notice because we're going to be taking over every king and kingdom and Obviously, they'll need to come to Jerusalem and pledge fealty. And, you know, think about the Olympics. Is even when we have the Olympics, we 
build out a massive stadium. We have to bring in all this industry just to keep all the people fed. You've got to build out hotels. It's a, it's a massive endeavor. Countries literally spend billions of dollars just getting ready for a few weeks of sporting, right? Wouldn't you think that that's the context by which God would send? Think about this, okay? Jesus is going to sit on the throne on the earth above every king. He is going to be the king of kings. Not figuratively, literally. He will reign over every country, every nation, every people group. A Jewish man will sit on a throne in Jerusalem and he will be the king. This is the guy that heaven is planning on sending into the world. The father, I imagine, you know, he's listening to all the ideas. This is, this is fictional, okay? This did not really happen. Some of y'all are like, I, this is not in my Bible. <laughs> Sir, I'm drafting an email right now. <laughs> it's just a picture. Um, the father goes, no, no, no. I have a better idea. Everyone's like, great. The father's ideas are always best. Like, Here's what we're going to do. We're going to stick him in a virgin teenager. I'm imagining the angels were like, okay, okay. what are her parents going to think? He goes, what's her fiance going to think? And Gabriel, what you're going to do is you are going to appear just a couple times to her fiance just so he knows she's legit. The angels are like, well, what about like her sister or someone else? I mean, she might need more than one person who's her fiancé to vouch for her. No, no, no. Just him. That'll be fine. They're like, you know, maybe we should do some kind of grand announcement. The father's like, I got it. We'll send a whole heavenly army. Okay, to who? To three shepherds in the middle of a field in the middle of the night who became the first conspiracy theorists. <laughs> Y'all never going to believe what we saw last night. I swear to God. That was the birth of QAnon right there. If Reddit was a thing back then, those brothers would have been posting all day long. And they decided, and let's send three wise men to drop off the most expensive gifts that money can buy. I mean, Mary and Joseph look like they looted a Target. <laughs> Think about it. They're poor, and they're dragging around gold, frankincense, and myrrh, the three most expensive things on the planet at the time, okay? And then God's like, oh, and here's what we'll do. We'll allow the ruler of Israel, the... the uh, I don't know what you'd call him. Herod was like a puppet ruler. Let's allow this puppet ruler to get, uh, he can hear the prophecy of the Messiah, the ruler of Israel being born, and he is going to release a literal genocide on Jewish baby boys. Can we talk about something for a second? I want to talk about, this is an aside to my message, but I want to talk about biblical fantasy, okay? Um, the way that human beings give meaning to life is we tell stories. We, 
now hear me here. We are evolved societally. We are evolved societally from people who never read. And the way that we made sense of the world and made meaning in life is we told stories. And we're still doing it. And I think that it's a good thing. But what I think that we do with the Bible a lot of times is we Disney-fy. Okay? I think we Disney-fy and fictionalize these people that we read about. And what we need to understand is that these, this is not fictional characters made up to tell us morally how we need to live. This is a historical document. All the things that I just said happened. They're not fictional. And, I th- and it's, it's just a good wake-up call for us that when we study theology or we study the scripture, that we deal with these facts by recognizing that these are real people and this really did happen. And we need to, context- we need to bring that in and contextualize that. Three men in the middle of a field somewhere 2,020 years ago had a heavenly army appear to them. And that was the way that God decided it was best to send the Messiah. And what my point in going through all of this is just to go like, dude, does this not look like a giant mess to you? Like the angels in the boardroom had a much better idea. No cross, you know, no genocide. By the way, what ended up happening is Mary and Joseph had to flee to, to Egypt we're not sure what happened there, but when they came back, they had a teenager that they couldn't control. <laughs> Anybody relate? <laughs> I don't have teenagers yet. I'm just assuming because I was one. I mean, they literally come back from Egypt. They, they have a 12-year-old Jesus. They take him to the temple, and he runs off and is telling the priests how to do their job. You want to have that disciplinary conversation? <laughs> Son of God. Son of God, go to your. (laughs) We have this addiction in our lives, I think, to perfect or whatever our idea of perfect is. And God is sending the Messiah into the world, and it's literally the messiest thing you've ever seen. And what's crazy is it doesn't stop there. It is so unfiltered. It is so raw. It is so unpalatable. I saw this thing, um, Rich Mullins. Do you guys remember the the singer Rich Mullins? He, He was being interviewed. He's passed away now, but he was being interviewed. And I saw this quote, this clip last night. And he said, thank God that God has no taste. Because he would never have chosen someone like me. rich coming in with that heat this is this is jesus chosen homies okay so there's this giant mess when jesus is born it's completely out of whack there are literally children being murdered because jesus has come into the world his mother looks like she's done something unscrupulous, something we don't even want to talk about. You could get stoned for real for getting pregnant out of wedlock back then. I don't know what kind of social pulleys they had to like do to hide Mary away so that no one was like, this chick broke the law. We got to kill her, which was pretty common back then, ladies. 
I mean, women did not have a voice, period. But God stowed the seed of the king of kings in this woman. <laughs> it's insane. It's so messy. It seems so unstructured and unstrategic and uncouth. And you're just thinking, when you really step back and you think about it, you ever hear this phrase? I hear it in church all the time because I'm a pastor and people don't like how loud it is or they don't like people jumping up in worship and they say, God's a God of order. I'm like, yeah, but his order sure does look funny to me sometimes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, his order, a lot of times, me look like chaos, sir. And he knows what he's doing. So Jesus grows up, and he starts his ministry at 30, and these are his, these are his homies, okay? Jesus' best homies. He could choose whoever he wants, okay? That's how, that's how this works. His best friends are fishermen. So they're probably foul-mouthed, blue-collar, stinky dudes who live in small houses with their entire extended family in that house, and they don't have two nickels to rub together. Amen. That's Jesus' best friends. All of my best friends. Sorry, Hillsong. <laughs> Tax collectors. These are the people that are defrauding their neighbors. Stealing money from little old grannies down the street and putting it in their pocket. Adulterers. Adulterers. Jesus' best friends. <laughs> Murderers. <laughs> Literal. <laughs> Murderers. Now listen, Jesus is putting together his ministry team, okay? Imagine if Pastor Jory was like, all right, here's what we're doing. The new children's pastor is a modern-day terrorist, okay? They've been converted, don't worry. A lot of you guys would be worried about sending the kids back here, okay? Politicians. And not the good kind, like Senator Ted Cruz. We're talking the bad kind. Sorry. God bless you, Senator Ted, if you're watching. He's definitely not. <laughs> you see, there's this funny thing about Jesus that he never sees a mess that he doesn't run toward. He never sees a mess that he does not run towards. Somebody. The bride of... Okay, sorry. The bride of Christ is a girl with a past. And so are all of us. I think we need to expand our capacity for messy. I think like... Uh, when you get saved, when you come to, to saving knowledge of Jesus or you have an encounter with Jesus, it's like we do this weird thing where everybody accepts that at the moment of salvation, you've done a whole bunch of stupid, but there's a lot of grace for you. But the minute you get in the doors, it's like 
all of a sudden we change the rules. And I think that we, we don't do this in a spoken way, but I think we do it in an unspoken way. You know what I mean? Where it's like, okay, you're saved now, so never be stupid again and never mess up again. And uh, if you do that, then we'll accept you. And you can stay. And we might let you lead something. Good luck. I think that where the church is going, I believe this. I believe that the, the church in America is in the beginning stages of a fiery revival. I think that we are in the beginning stages of another Jesus people movement, but we're going to get it right this time. And what I think that that looks like is that we, we are going to be looking very diverse and very different from what we've been in the past. And I think it's going to be messy. And, and, and here is the, the point that I, I would like to make to you today is that it's in the mess and out of the mess that miracles flow. And so today, if you are in a mess, and I'm going to convince you all that you all are in a mess, because we all are in a mess, because we're all messy. It's out of that place that God wants to birth a miracle in your life. Yes. This is what Proverbs 24, 16 says. It says, for though the righteous, say the righteous, fall seven times, they will rise again, but the wicked stumble when calamity strikes, somebody say calamity strikes. See, it says when the righteous fall. It says when the righteous fall, not if or maybe hopefully the righteous don't fall. It says that when the righteous fall, they get back up. I think that God is measuring us by the sum and trajectory of our lives, not on every individual moment of crisis or good boy or good girl moment. Don't get me wrong. Do not hear me say at any point today that you have a license to go do some stupid. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is when you do do some stupid, the grace that saved you is the same strength and the same grade of grace that's going to preserve you, pick you up, and put you back on the path that you need to be on. Because God's looking at your heart and the trajectory of your life, not every single moment. I think that God cares much more what we do after we screw up than, what, than before or if we screw up. It's about getting back up and going back after God. Yeah. We need to grow our capacity for messy because when heaven comes to earth, just like when Jesus was born, it creates a mess. When God does something in your life, it's going to create a mess sometimes. Let's say most times. I think that we want our, all our miracles packaged up, right? It's, it's like we want the bow on top, and, you know, I want a Mercedes Benz, right? Don't you? No. Insert car of choice. But when God, when God comes and he puts something into your life, often it's going to require something of you, okay? Often it's going to need to be made space for. Often it's going to need some sacrifice. Often it's going to need you to move. I was thinking about this in worship. Did you know that you can stop the move of the Holy Spirit? Somebody say, I can stop the move of the Holy Spirit. 
Now that sounds like anathema to say, but because God wants to do everything that he does in friendship and in partnership with humanity, he's given us so much authority that if we say, no, God, he'll go, okay. So this is selfish, but I'm going to do it anyway. When we're up here in worship going, hey, lift your hands and move your mouth and make noise come out and, <laughs> and sing and, and, and dance and do whatever, we're inviting you to be powerful and motivated in the Holy Spirit. We don't want to tell you how to worship. That's not what we're doing, even as pastors. We're not, I don't want to tell you uh, how to worship. You know, we, there's this chip on the shoulder thing of, some, some folks, you know, it's like, hey, lift your hands. No! <laughs> I'm like, fine, don't get blessed, whatever. Like, <laughs> that's on you, bro. Like, we've got to get beyond our ego and our reputation and what we think God is able and allowed to do and just show up with an open heart and empty hands and go, whatever you want me to do, God. And some of us need to start taking bigger risks. It's like, if God says, do the worm, do the worm. You don't know what's going to happen. He's literally using donkeys in the Bible to talk to people. And he tells you to raise your hand and you're like, no! Why? It's an easy thing. Come, everybody do it right now. Just do it to prove we could do it. This is just like, the, this has become the ramblings of a disgruntled worship pastor. <laughs> I'm totally off script right now. But I think somebody needs to hear this. Do a cartwheel. Who cares? The minute that you get beyond that needing to not be embarrassed thing, there is such a glory waiting for you. God wants to crucify your reputation. He doesn't care. He doesn't care what you're, the person down the row from you who lives three houses down from you thinks about you. And he doesn't want you to be in bondage to that either. Come on, somebody. God's way bigger than our mentality of, of what other people think about us. And I see people come into church every week and it's like, I just don't, nobody criticize me. Please don't criticize me at the PTA. <laughs> Let them criticize you. Who cares? You're going to be fine. If you get blessed by God, it doesn't matter. Amen. Would you rather be blessed by God or think, have everybody in Dumas think that you're awesome? Hey, would you rather be blessed by God or have everyone in Dumas think you're awesome? Come on, somebody. I'll get back to this. <laughs> Ephesians 4, 14, uh, 15, sorry, says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. Somebody say, grow up. In every way, into him who is the head, into Christ. Um, without a show of hands, I want you to think about what your mess is this morning. Think about your mess. I see a lot of people who refuse to acknowledge, to look at, and deal with their own mess. This is like where all kinds of bad behavior starts to happen. It's where addiction and coping 
become a part of your life. And until you can become present with your pain and with your mess, you can't open your eyes and heart to the trauma and, and God can't heal the ache in your heart. He won't force you, he won't force his way into your cycles of pain and hurt. You have to invite him into that. So there's the parable that Jesus told of the prodigal son. You're familiar. I think it's Luke 15. And there's two sons, and they both have the same pain, and they cope with it in completely different ways. And a lot of us cope with our pain in the way that the first son did, which was, I am going to go out and look for pleasure and comfort, and I'm going to hide myself in pleasure and comfort and numbness. Okay, well, you know that doesn't work out for him too good. He goes broke. He has to go home. The father comes out, and before the son even really has a chance to say, I'm sorry, the father is, always, is already throwing a party for him. And he invites, the picture is the father goes out, he throws his uh, arms around the son, he gets him a robe, he gets him a ring, and they kill the fatty calf for him, and they go in and they party it up for a night. Okay? There's another son, and he deals with the same pain in a little bit of a different way. I want you to recognize that we are all both sons, okay? You're not one or the other. We all have elements of both in our lives. The other son is dealing with perfectionism, which is just a concealed mess. The mess is still present, but you are really trying to convince everyone that it is not present. It's the fight to look the right way, to sound the right way, to do the right things and appear the right way that was causing the pain and the pressure inside of the older son who, when his father approached him, just began to rattle off reasons that he should be celebrated just as much as the son that had run away. But what you realize in reading the story is the reason the father even approached him in the first place was to invite him in. The father didn't come out to chastise or to belittle or to hurt the older brother. He came to pull the older brother into the celebration. The older brother saw that dumb younger brother in his mess and he just went, that fool, I've never done anything like that. And self-righteousness went, boom, I'm here. And the thing is, self-righteousness is just as violent on your soul as out-and-out -out sin. Self-righteousness is just as destructive as pornography. We're just societally more okay with it. Because at least your mess is not getting on me. The older brother is addicted to the professionistic idea he has of himself, what he can project to other people. So on the inside, he's using all of his energy to prop up this idea of who he is while his mess just sits back here and wreaks havoc on his soul. Yeah. 
Addiction to perfectionism is a real thing, and it's called the spirit of religion. It's an enslavement to dogma, and it parades like it's of God, but it's actually a perversion, and it despises the move of God. The older brother looked out that front yard and saw his father running towards his younger brother, and he despised it. He hated it. He couldn't deal with it. It made his skin crawl. This perfectionistic uh, mentality, this spirit, this attitude, it actually wants to control and end the move of God because it can't control it. And it can't give up control. The older brother's like, yo, this is not fair. Riches and blessing and, and partying and favor should not be poured out on the dude who blew it. God's a God of order. But sometimes his order looks like chaos to us. Being right and acting right are two different things. And sometimes being right isn't right. It's just worth saying that that legalism, perfectionism, the spirit of religion, even though it doesn't look like out-and-out sin, it is the same in Jesus' eyes. These are the only people that Jesus criticized in the Bible. He said about the Pharisees, they are like the blind leading the blind. He said of the Pharisees, they know how to clean the outside of the cup, but I'm the only one that can clean the inside. And they were the hardest ones to convince that this legitimate, beautiful manifestation that was messy was actually of God. They hated it so much they murdered Jesus. But what I think we've done in the church is like, we want the real mess out there. We, we don't want the real mess to be in here. We want it out there. If you can't behave yourself or keep it together, we need you to please go to counseling out there. We don't want you in here. But we can take all the perfectionism in the world. Yeah, you, you got it together? Come on. <laughs> you, you, you're hiding your mess too? Great, get in here. We'll all just never ask each other about it. The point I'm trying to make is this. We are all messy. And back to my point about biblical fantasy earlier. I think that all of us uh, innately do this thing where we believe that our lives need to somehow apex in the perfect circumstance for God to move. What I'm saying today is, if we can acknowledge our reality, when we acknowledge our reality, when we look our mess, whatever it is, in the eye. I'm going to read this. I'm going to go all the way back here. There's a freedom to stand right where you are with all your choices, good and bad. All your relationships, good and bad. The things people have done to you, good and bad, the things that you've done to people, this spot right here 
is where God wants to move. That is the, that's the word that I felt on my heart this morning is it's messy. It's going to be messy. We have to develop a capacity to messy so we can embrace messy, so we can grow up. That's what the Bible says. You know how you grow up? You look your mess and your reality right in the eyes in the presence of Jesus. There's not a single person that came to Jesus that got a miracle that did not understand exactly what the problem was. They all knew. <laughs> They're living in the here and now. And it's in the present where his presence moves. And I think a lot of us hope that our miracle is out there when we get it together good enough. And God's like, no, I want to move through your life, in your heart, in your marriage, in your bank account, in your relationships, in your job, right now. And you're like, well, I'm not, I, you, I, I kind of feel disqualified by the things I've done. Um, sorry, what's that? Murderers, adulterers, blue-collar fishermen, people who sometimes uttered a curse word, God forbid. Any of you have ever done that? I know you never have. <laughs> yes, you. Yes, you. You work on a farm. Yes, you. You work in a school. Yes, you. You work in a bank. Yes, you. You work in a church. Yes, you. <laughs> but we got to get off the bench, man. We got to get off the bench of our own lives and begin to engage. Dude, God wants to do so much more in your life than you can even begin to think. He's the dream maker, baby. He wants to blow your mind. And let me tell you something. I've been following Jesus since I was 17 years old. I probably would have ended up working in insurance or doing something like that. And I had a radical encounter with Jesus when I was 17, changed my life, set me free from suicidal thoughts and depression. Come on, Jesus. <laughs> and it set me on a journey. And let me tell you, I will follow him to the end of anything, anywhere, and I can't stop. I can't go back. There's nothing else for me. And let me tell you something. You're like, well, that's great for you. I'm sure you've been perfect. You're a pastor. No, I have blown it. I have, I have put my life on blast. I've made, I've made huge mistakes. And guess what? The, though the righteous fall, they get back up. But when you get that prophetic through line going in your life, when you get that presence leading you, you get those little miracles, doors start popping off. You see things start to change and you realize he's real. He's real. It's happening. There's nothing better than that. And the only person, no demon. Mm -mm. We got those tech demons. The only person that can keep you from that God-given destiny is sitting in your seat right now. This is a word for some of you. It's time to get off the bench. Classic. Why be a spectator? Why be a spectator in your own life, man? God can not only change you, he can use you to change the world around you. 
Now we say that. It's like, oh, that's really good on Sunday morning. But what about Monday morning? I want you to think about this tomorrow. When you get to your office and you get an email that's unfortunate or something breaks down at home. And look, it's a, I, I, I want to call you. I want to invite you into this space called faith of going, I don't know what you want to do, but my hands are empty and my heart is open and I'm here. God's not looking for perfect this morning. He's looking for available. Amen. Let me say that again. God's not looking for perfect this morning. He's just looking for available. He's just looking for yes. He's just looking for here I am. And you're thinking, why me? I don't know. Because he loves you so much. And like, man, he loves you. And he loves me too. (laughs) And it says in the Bible that he set out good works for you from the beginning of time. That you were a dream in his heart. <laughs> You're thinking about your life like, I don't know about that, Pastor Bo. No, no, I'm telling you, you were a dream in the Father's heart before the beginning of the time. The Bible says that he set out things for you to do, see, experience, live. This life is an adventure that's just, you know, it's like the Wizard of Oz. It comes into that that color, that dimension, that reality. When he gets involved and heaven starts pouring into your life and angels start moving and miracles start happening and that is the life that you were meant to live. And he can do it in Dumas, he can do it in Sunray, he can do it in Eder. He can do it wherever he wants because he's God. And he's not small town minded. He is not. Would you stand with me? Um, Do you know what you guys are doing? Yeah. So, I hope that's okay. Really, uh, God's got so much for you today. Would you just close your eyes with me and you know, I think that there's I think that there is um, a space right now for repentance. And like for some of you, it's big and ugly and obvious. And so whether you've done that once, twice, a million times, and maybe this is the first day that you're able to Look that thing in the eye and bring it to the Father. Because He's going to put a robe on your back and a ring on your finger. And I just want to speak this over the room for those of you that you're repenting for the one millionth time of this thing. There is hope for you, you will be free because He paid for it. 
And I also want to speak to that shame and just say, there is a seat for you at this table. Come in, son. There are some of you that, as I spoke about perfectionism, and it's the weight of the world on your shoulders for you to keep it together. And I want to speak to you too and say, the father saying, come in, son. The repentance that he's looking for is not just to say, I'm sorry. It's also to say, I'm coming in. It's the restoration of that union, union, that unity. It's the restoration of that love connection between you and God. If you've been in that place, I, I just feel this so strongly. It, it, the pressure to be perfect has been like the weight of the world on your shoulders. And the, the call to you this morning is, come in, son. Put that thing down. There's a seat for you at this table. It's time for you to eat. You don't have to hold it together anymore. If you're wondering what to do right now, I encourage you to close your eyes and have a conversation because he can hear you. Holy Spirit, come. Father, I just ask you that whether we're in a mess or we're trying to hold it all together, God, I pray that we'd all find the way in to your smile, to your heart. Right now, God, I'm just asking for encounters all over the room. God, right now, I just ask, wait, I, I, just, I just see weight being lifted right now.